Good morning, everyone. We got some new chairs. Don't worry if you're in the back. There's more coming. We just had a few that were dented, and we had to send it back. So that's why you're in the cushy chairs, which is better than the plastic chairs that were hard in the back before. But we're, it's just probably this Tuesday. So if you're available Tuesday to come help us unload some chairs and get them all ready, there is some work involved to do that. We'd love to have you come out. Not exactly sure the time. I think it's going to be in the afternoon. We'll see, though. But if you're interested, in, if you have Tuesday, probably... Just Tuesday from late morning to early afternoon, that'd be awesome. Just let the office know to put you on standby. We can text you, just meet at the church. We had a crew of about 15 people here last week, um, and it took every last one of us to, to get all um, ready. So if you're available Tuesday, that'd be awesome. Hopefully the, the truck is installed and they actually do come on Tuesday. Uh, just give the office an email or a buzz and let us know you're able to help out with that. That'd be awesome. And then we also got some new lights so you can read your Bibles. And that's a bonus, and, and if you're in kind of like a shadowed area, don't worry, there's some adjustment and some more lamps, actually, they're not completely all done, we still have some more to do, um, we're going to get some more adjustment in here, so full blast should be able, you'll be able to read better, and that's a good thing, so now you're comfortable and reading ability has increased, and if you're in the shadows, you're like, I'm in a, still the ra- <laughs> chair I used to sit in, and I'm in the shadow, so, you know, we're works in progress, right? Grace, that's where Grace comes in. <laughs> it's cool. And <laughs> I'm going to throw a downer in here. Is that if you're watching the news, you're seeing other churches being burned. You know, Christians' houses being burned, people being killed, that kind of thing. So it kind of puts things in perspective, right? About, ah, oh, I'm so uncomfortable at church. I hate these chairs. It's like, hey, I'm glad we have a chair, you know? I'm glad we have a chair. Aren't you glad you have a chair? You know, and, and, you, and you feel like, you know, on one side, you're like, man, I, I feel kind of guilty that I have a chair now, especially a new one, right? And then other people are like out in the streets and getting persecuted and stuff. Uh, it's like, how do you deal with that as a believer? In all sincerity, I think you just be thankful, right? In plenty or in want, you just be thankful. And even when you, your chair is taken away, you're still thankful because who can take away Christ from the believer, so do you have everything, everything that you could dream about in Christ? Then you have everything, no matter if you have the worst chair underneath you possible, yeah? And it's so interesting because today that's what we're talking about. And we're in this place in Colossians. We've been going through the series in Colossians. And, and we're talking about that today. Is everything external? So we'll go to the title of the message this morning. It's externalism. Is that all there is to religion? That's the section that's called, if you're taking notes, you can write that down a little It'll help you, I think, um, kind of put a, a whole big category on the message this morning. And as you know, we've been going through Colossians, uh, different folks have been teaching, and it's been an honor to, to share that uh, responsibility with Pastor Brian and, and Ben Potter, who did a great job last week, if you're here. And in a lot of ways, I, I feel like last week, um, there's a lot of things I'm just going to repeat that Ben said. So if you're here yet last week, then I'm just going to, it's not, nothing's new under the sun, Yeah. So in my case, nothing's new since last week, because I'm just going to say what he said. Because we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 11 through 19, and and then that's where he left off. So I have 20 of chapter 2 in Colossians through through 3, 4 um, this morning. Uh, But it's really really a blessing. And I want to just preface this this morning's message with this. Um, I feel like... Um, I've been able to teach uh, enough now in uh, 20 years or so of, of ministry um, 
being involved as a worship leader, being involved um, on staff and having chances to teach. And in these things, I really, really like the times where when I come with a certain passage that God's placed before me to teach on, that actually gets in my heart first, right? My heart gets exploded because I see it lived out in front of me. And, and this week was no exception. God interrupted my plans, had a whole different agenda for me this week, which in this case was super, super exciting. It was a blessing to watch God transform a heart from the inside out. And here we're talking about externalism. You know, is that all there is to religion? And obviously right now, the good news is no. Oh, praise God. The answer is no. Everybody just say no. Is externalism, is what you do on the outside, is the things that people are able to see, the things that you may do so that you can be seen, the things that people see. Uh, God sees everything, but people only see limited things, and that's on the outside. The things that you don't do, that you do, are those things, is that all there is to religion? And you would say no. And um, in the Bible it says, pure and undefiled religion is this, that we would look over what? The destitute, the people that are going without, the people that are in need. You know, there's a, there's a good definition of religion. I think we need to reclaim that a little bit because in this day and age, when you say religion, in, the, in a lot of connotations, it's a bad thing. But, but God says, no, there's a bad religion. In fact, when it's there and it's prevalent, I don't want your worship. I want you to stop singing to me because you're, you're, you got it all backwards. You got the heart before, or the, the, the horse before the... You got the something in front of the other thing. <laughs> what The what? No, it's not cart before the horse. I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's cart before the horse. <laughs> totally like, huh? Eh. Um, what was I talking about? All right. Well, let's get in the word, shall we? Um, the answer is no. The answer is no. We, we have all these things that, that we can do and be a part of and incorporate in our lives, and yet God just looks at it as, well, you know, that's great if it's with the right heart, if it's flowing out of what Deuteronomy 6 would tell us is that, you know, the first and greatest commandment, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Summarize the Bible, if you will, for us, Jesus. And Jesus did. He prioritized the Bible. You know that? He didn't just say, read all of it and memorize all of it because all of it's the same as the other parts. No, he didn't. He prioritized. He answered them he was being tested, but he answered him this way. He said, uh, he quoted the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6, and he just simply said this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. The second is like it. That's the greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He took that from Deuteronomy 6 and Numbers, I believe it's 20. I, mean, I may be wrong on that one. But anyways, you take two snapshots, two verses, and says, if you want to know, to, if you want to know how to prioritize the word of God, God's will for your life, the greatest commandment you can have is to love. Now, tell me, Folks, my own heart, tell me again, what does love have to do with things external? See, if you, de- if you define love by what's done external, you're never going to get to love, are you? Because you can do things externally. You cannot do things externally. Even in obedience to God, but without a heart motive, it means nothing. To the point of this, Jesus, uh, Jesus at one point said something very ominous, very, to my heart, very much a warning. He said, there's some people that are going to come up to me in that day and say, didn't we drive out demons in your name? That's a pretty heavy-duty scripture right there, right? Because it tells me 
that external action is actually a good thing, right? People being freed from a demon is a good thing. I mean, how does it get better than that, right? But Jesus is saying, I never knew you. I never had your internal. The external was there. You're actually doing things in a, in a way that looked good to everybody else. If, if, if some were to have a demon cast out of them, whoever does that casting out, so to speak, um, looks pretty good on the outside because they're doing something that most people wouldn't in their lives be able to do. But in this case, Jesus is like, you missed the most important part. You missed the Deuteronomy 6. You missed the Shema. You missed the scripture that every Jew raised from a little boy onward, little girl onward, memorized and recited nearly daily. And that is to love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you do that, the external flows. So the title this morning is Externalism. Is, all, is that all there is to religion? The answer is no, quite the opposite. So let's look at Colossians 2.23 uh, through 3.4. I'm reading from the New King James, by the way. This says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations such as do not touch, do not taste, do not handle? There's the externalism. Which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So you can see where Paul's pretty heavy on this, on this topic. He continues on. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Lord God, what a hope that is, that when you appear, we'll appear with you in glory, God. You include us in, in these things. And we're, who are we to be included in such great things as that? Lord, to appear in your glory is something that only happens when you're present. You are where you are, and your glory is there. And so, Lord, just to be with you, just to have a future that you tell us that's the destination. It allows our souls to catch fire, God. It allows our hearts to rejoice, and it allows our hearts to be humble before a great and mighty king. And I pray, God, that this morning, that as we go through these words, that you inspired Paul to write through your Holy Spirit, God, so that we, a couple thousand years later, God, would be able to benefit and just dive in and soak in and chew up and digest those words. Uh, we thank you for it. We ask for your blessing upon it. Lord, move me aside, God. Let your, your renown be the one that's resonating um, in our hearts and in our lives as we leave for here this morning. For your glory, your name's sake, God. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So that's the scripture we're talking about. Now we're going to review a little bit. Since we're halfway of Colossians, there's four chapters. I figured half, half time um, we're going to go and we're going to take a look at some of these Colossian scriptures that are just downright amazing, okay? So, turn to chapter, I'm going to put them up there, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. We're just going to read them. We give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. So Paul starts out his letter saying there's something going on there and it's really, really cool. You guys have received the Lord and you're growing 
and we're giving praise to God for it. Verse 9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard of that faith, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being faithful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power and for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and Jesus has conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Those last two verses again. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Awesome. So, God, I'm going to take that truth, and I'm going to make sure that I don't watch R-rated movies, and that's going to match that kind of level of truth. God, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to make sure that I give at least, God, 10% of my income to you. At least. I might even get 11. I'm, I might give 12% sometimes, God, in response to how great that is. You see, that, see the, you, how do you compare those things? I thought Ben did a great job last week in coming to that point, that conclusion. He's like, hey, if it comes to the point where we're talking about what we drink and don't drink as a, as a gauge or as a place of judging others or a place of just monitoring how we're doing with the Lord, we've missed it, right? These things are way more weightier than that, right? So, so why go there with those conclusions? Go to uh, verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell... And by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you, Colossians, you, Calvary Slow, you holy. What is that? Set apart, right? For his work. He's, he said, you apart as holy and blameless. You have no cause now to be found at fault or as you have sinned, even though you had an above reproach in his sight. Man, does it get any better than that? Go to the next one. Chapter 2, verse 6. It says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught abounding in it with thanksgiving. It's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful passages. It's like, be thankful. Just soak it up. Walk with Jesus. Be rooted in him. Be established in your faith. Don't waver when it comes to, does God really love me? Does God really love me? Like, let's, let's establish that as true and let's move on and let's be gripped by that fact and let it transform your actions. Paul's just like, let's, let's, I want you. He even prays for them. I want them to know. I want them to know it takes your opening their eyes, God, for them to know the fullness of your love. It's amazing. So he just said, walk with him. Walk in him. Isn't, isn't amazing the faith we've been given by the saints? I mean, really, passed on through the ages. You're told to love and walk. Man, isn't it a great thing when you see a little baby and they're just starting to walk and they're just stumbling and they're kind of just losing their footing and they're running into stuff and everybody's like ooing and on over how awesome that is and then you see them get stronger and stronger. We, had, we were watching a couple of kids yesterday, little babies, little baby girls. I don't have any baby girls. I haven't had baby girls. I just have boys and that's been awesome. But something about a little girl, you just want to protect them, you know. I, just, I feel like, ah, oh, I just have to really protect this little one, you know. 
And um, it's really fun. But they're, they're not quite walking. And I'm thinking, it's going to be awesome. And their parents are like, I think they're going to crawl any time now. You know, and it's this big thing, right? You just see Paul with that same heart just saying, I just want them to start walking. I just want them to get off their knees and start walking in this great gospel that has real meaning and real, real, real outcome and, and fruit from a heart that understands how much they're loved by God. And let, let me just parenthetically just pause there for a second and tell anyone, we're most privileged to have anyone here that has yet to become a disciple of Christ in so much that you've humbled yourself, come to him and said, Lord, please forgive me of my sin. I am in need of you. And I recognize my sin has a, a penalty attached to it. And as such, I know the only solution for that is for you. And I might not have everything figured out. I might ha- not have the strongest of faith. But I have enough to say, I need you. Please come to me. Please change my life. And when that happens, God moves. And he's just like, that's when you're a baby and you're just starting out. When you receive that. And when you've been around babies, it's just the whole world is new. You see things completely differently. Yeah? Remember when you were first a Christian? If you're a believer now, a disciple of Christ, when you first came to the Lord, when your eyes were really open, some may remember that vividly, others may not, but, but, but there was a time where you just, it just clicked. And you're like, man, I'm rooted in the love of God. Like, he loves me, and it's not going to change when I fail him miserably at times. Like, that is, that is life-changing, isn't it? Where you just come to that place, and if you haven't yet understood the fullness of that, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Because we're talking about just walking and being rooted and, and these things of it's all external, it doesn't matter in and of itself. It has to start in the heart and come out where you actually understand God opened your eyes to the reality that God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. Isn't that amazing? He just loves you because he loves you. And you can't step out of that. You're like, okay, God, let's really test this. You know, what if, what if I did this? You still love me? He's like, okay, we're getting way out of where we should be. We want to get back to the heart and just say, do you love me? Do you know what I've done for you? That's where we want to stay, right? So Paul's just going off on this stuff. It's amazing. For in him dwells, verse uh, 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, that is Jesus. And get this, you, Colossians, you, Calvary, so you are complete in him. In other words, you're not lacking anything. And you're like, but James, you don't even know. I'm lacking in everything. I don't do anything right. I fail God miserably all the time. I'm a bad husband at times. I'm a bad dad at times. I'm a bad student at times. I'm a bad employee. I've, I've stolen. I've lied. I've cheated. X, Y, and Z. You're like, how can, how can that be true, Paul? Really? I'm complete. I'm not lacking anything. God loves me right now in my state. And actually, more than that, declares me complete and righteous and full and not lacking anything. Is that amazing? That's life-changing. Who cares what you eat? What does it have to do with it? Now, there's a lot of repercussions what I just said with that from a Jewish perspective. We're going to get into that. But I'm just saying, when Paul has these great truths, and we're reviewing them, we'll keep going here, um, in light of those things, it kind of seems a little silly. But that's, as people, we just, for some reason, gravitate towards those things. We want to hold on to something tangible. Like, I did this, or I didn't do this, therefore I'm confident before my creator, who may or may not want me to do those things, okay? But the problem is, we start putting that cart before the horse, which is the heart 
It just says, Lord, thank you for your love. Okay, chapter 2, 11, verses 9, uh, 11. Chapter 2, verses 11 through 19. This is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. In, in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. I'm just going to say real quick, this is some real big meat. These are some meaty chunks here, some big theological um, concepts that, that we're going to unpackage a little bit. But um, for the sake of time and the passage we're focusing in on, I just want you to know that this takes a lot of study. Go back over it, if you will, and, and spend some time in it. But it's amazing the truths that come out of this. So don't get lost in these words. Let it soak in a little bit. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out or blotted out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. In other words, our guilty verdict was right over our heads, and he took his blood, like Ben was talking about so amazingly last week, and blotted it out with the blood where it can't be read anymore. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So, let no one... Okay, let's just take it back to these kind of fundamental things, these kind of simply applied concepts. So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance, the true object that makes the shadow, that gives you reason to know that there's something bigger and more substantial that's causing the shadow is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which you had not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, that is Jesus, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. So, let's review. What happens at conversion, as described by Paul in this section here? And the reason, again, why I'm going over it is because it has so much to do with the passage I have, verses 20 through 3, 4. Number one, we were buried with Jesus in baptism. Huge concepts, so important, life-changing things. Guys, don't check out. This is so meaty. It's so great when you get the impact of these things. Number one, what happens at conversion? We're buried with Jesus in baptism. We're going to be three places, mainly. We're going to be in Colossians, obviously. But we're also going to be in Romans 5 and 6. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5. And we're going to go over to, um, uh, what was the other one? Yeah, those are the three. Colossians, Romans, 2 Corinthians, okay? We're going to see these things in different passages that Paul writes about, okay? Verse 12. You were buried with him in baptism. In other words, something died, that's why you bury it, yeah? You were buried because you died. How did you die? You were found in Christ who died on your behalf. So through faith, you were actually dead. And you were buried. Put in the ground. What was put in the ground, guys? It was your old man. That's what it says. That's when it refers to the old man as being something in the past. Um, that is what happened. Your soul, without God, your flesh, limited in its ability or inability, I should say, to please God, was done away with. It was dead and it was buried. So Paul wants to make that clear. Look at Romans chapter 6. 
verse 1. Some amazing passages here. What shall we say, say then? Shall we conclude, continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly also shall we be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was what? It has a word there. It's very specific. Paul's using it for a reason. What is it? Crucified. It wasn't even just died. It was died as Christ had died. Crucified. When you're crucified, that's the worst possible death. And he wants us to have that strong image on that being your old self independent, living independent of Christ, having no regeneration spirit alive in you, that was done away with, spiritually speaking, at the cross. Why is that so important, you guys? Because we get to matters of just living without God. You can do all the things that look religious, quote-unquote, and not be a believer in Christ, not be a Christian, not be regenerated, not be whole. You can do all the same things, and yet you're still dead. And so if we're now in Christ and we're coming to God and we're like, see, God, I got all these things done and this is why I should be confident now that you'll accept me. We've got it all wrong because you can do the same thing as a non-believer. Amen? So something died and that is really important because when you consider your struggles in life, especially against sin, and you blow it and you're feeling guilty and shameful and you can't come to God because of that guilt and shame and those feelings of just like, oh my gosh, I blew, blew it again in relationship with my father. When you're struggling with that, Here's good news, that if you died, those things that held you captive are now powerless over you. So the hope is this. The difference between Christian and Christian is not one's better than the other. One has an option now to go to the source of life and actually go there for the power as the Spirit resides in you to conquer things that once held you in slavery. In thankfulness to one who crucified you. So you didn't have to literally go to a cross, but in a spiritual sense, you did with Christ. It's a beautiful thing. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Verse 12, for we did, not, we did not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. So he's basically saying, guys and gals that focus on the external at the expense of their heart, this is what you have to boast about. For we, if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. Or if we are sound mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. Beautiful. Ah, we have a new purpose. We have a new life with a new purpose, new destination, new reason for living. What is it to live for him? Okay, let's review what happens by conversion as described by Paul, going back to Colossians 2. In that place of death where we died, our old people died, our old selves were cut away. That being a word for circumcision. That's what we translate circumcision. Being freed from slavery to it. 
Verse 11 says this, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, the Jews had circumcision as a tradition by God. Why did he do that? You ever wonder, God, that's really strange. Why did you put circumcision in the whole thing for the Jews? Even those who would convert at older age had to get circumcised, right? Why? Because it was a shadow. It was a shadow. The things of substance were of Christ. Where he wanted to cut away the dead place of your heart. Cut away the old man. Have you circumcised in the heart where it matters most? Check out Romans 2. This is awesome. I love this passage. Brings it home. Verse 25, Romans 2. You're going to get busy with your Bible. Okay? For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Do you get it? He's saying you obeyed in that, or maybe even your parents obeyed by getting you circumcised in the first place. But if you're going to base your relationship with God on how you do according to the law's demands, then if you break circumcision, or if you break other parts of the law, it's just like you weren't circumcised at all. Why? Because you break one part, you break it all. Your sin is sin. Okay? It's accounted to you as such. And he says, therefore, if an uncircumcised man, to further his point, keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? You get what he's saying? And will not the physically uncircumcised, who fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are transgressor of the law? It was not meant to stay at this level, guys. This is all external. Get what he's saying? Like, don't leave it at an external level. You'll miss the whole point. Why were people circumcised? It's a shadow pointing to Christ where he would actually, you would be die, you would die with him at the cross and your circumcision would take place where the old man was cut away, where the old heart of flesh or stone was cut away and replaced by a new heart. For he says, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly of the heart and circumcision of that of the heart in the spirit not in a letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. So, number one, you were dead. You were buried when you came to Christ. You haven't come to Christ yet? This is ahead for you. And it's going to be a glorious day when you die. Praise God you get to die. So you don't serve yourself anymore. You serve a better purpose, a bigger purpose, right? Number two is your old man, person you were, was cut away. The flesh was now in replace of stone in your heart. Okay, number three. What, did, what happened when you came to Christ? Well, he made us alive. He just didn't say, you're dead now. You're dead to me. No, he made us alive, right? He made us alive, spiritually, able to grow in our love and obedience. Verse 13 of Colossians, back there. And you being dead in your trespasses and your uncircumcision of your flesh, he's made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. You're alive. You breathe. But now... You're born twice. Jesus said it's not enough to be just born. You've got to be born again. A lot of people don't understand what he's saying there. He's saying you've got to die after you've been born so you can be alive, truly, spiritually, ready to obey God for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. This week I had a, a, an opportunity, a blessed opportunity. I kind of alluded to it earlier. Just hanging out with a gentleman, a young man, and... Uh, he was getting this for the first time in his life. And, and he, by his own admission, said, I, I, did, I did go to church. I did experience things around Christianity because I was forced to by my parents. But I never wanted to go because I was forced. I always wanted to go because I wanted to, but I never wanted to. 
So I didn't go. When I got a certain age, I didn't go. And I was like, that's wonderful. You're being honest. That's a great thing. But here's why you'd want to go to church. That's even the wrong way to say it, right? We are the church. That's why you want to be around Christians. That's what he should have said. No, here's what happened. He said, he said I've never understood. I've never been ready. I've never had my eyes open to receive God's love so that I wanted to do things that I know I should. Now I have reason to do them. I'm all, exactly. That's what I'm preaching on on Sunday. You already beat them. You already know the message. Because why? Because he was tired of that game. And he's like, I don't want to be a hypocrite and go to church and act like something I'm not from the inside out. I know I'm not that. So why do it? I'm like, exactly. You're right on the right place. Now, the difference is, why do you want to? He's like, I've never felt this way before. I actually know that God loves me. And I'm all, exactly. So what do you want to do? He's all, go to church. (laughs) You got it. And you didn't even have to go through Romans and 1 Corinthians. It just makes sense. Why? Because God makes sense. He made everything. We're supposed to work this way. You're supposed to want something more and deeper than external things. You're supposed to want more than, than just religion for religion's sake. You're, you want to you live a life when you understand how much God loves you. To just live it, not for yourself, but for other people. To see them freed from the trap it is to just do stuff so you look good. It's a freeing thing to just say, I've blown it and God still loves me. And I, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to hang out with other people who know that too. So we don't have to put a game out there. We're just going to be real and see what God does through us. Because he's alive and he's made me alive. He's made you alive. We died. Let's live new lives. Isn't that wonderful? You show up to church not because you're like, ah, I'm so glad I get to show off today. Right? That's like absurd. You just come to a place where you have to admit, I was broken and I needed a savior. And it hasn't changed. I still need him today. I didn't do any of this. He made me alive and I had nothing to do with it. I just showed up. And said, please, anything, I'll take anything, God, please. Guys, I grew up Catholic. I went to church my whole life. I felt really guilty on the Sundays I missed. I thought communion was something you go take so it can be if there's an x-ray of my diaphragm in my stomach area that God would see it, spiritually speaking, that I would take this Eucharist wafer and it would deposit into this bank account that I had in my stomach and they would, if it added up high enough when I died, he would accept me. external things why do you say don't taste or taste why do you say don't do this or don't do that you see what I, I was doing that i know the difference and when i came to school i was at cal poly my freshman year in the dorms and some guys from campus crusade came by shared the gospel with me planted a seed i started to grow i started to go to the bible study, and i started to think about what in the world is this jesus i've heard about my whole life but never really known about really known him never loved him that's for sure i've never loved him i just was made to go to church so i went and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, what's this, the Bible? There's actually talks about this kind of different life that I never knew. My Bible, when I was growing up, was decorated with frilly stuff, and it was that big. And it stayed in our coffee table. And if you read it, you were kind of a little bit too religious for, to be comfortable around. That was my experience. I'm not saying that's true for all Catholics. I'm not making that judgment. I'm just saying that's how it was for me. And then I'd see people go to church. And when they got out of church, it was like, oh, man, as soon as I get the Eucharist, I'm out of here. That Eucharist, we don't know. That's another word for communion, right? It's, I, I, this, you were done, and I was like, why are people leaving? We haven't even finished the service. We're just, I mean, you may have to leave church early, you know, after communion. I, I'm not going to put you on the spot. If you have to go, you have to go. But it has nothing to do with what you are before God. But I'd tell these people, like, leave. It's like, great, we're done. Football. 
And then I watched my family and other people just live their lives completely separated from God. It didn't make sense. Why? Because it doesn't make sense. It's just external. It has no value. It doesn't, doesn't do anything other than occupy your time for no reason. You don't want to come to church just to come to church. You don't want to just be here to be here. You don't want to go through the motions just to go through the motions. Because you know what? It just leaves you bummed. Is this all there is? Please don't let it be that. Jesus has a whole fountain of life and living water to well up from the inside out as you give your life to him. And some of you, many of you, I believe, hopefully, know what it's like to have a life where you're like, it's not about me, it's about him, and I can't wait to wake up and see what he has for me. I want him to interrupt my schedule so other people can know it's not about what you do, it's about who you are from the inside out. And it happens when we get saved. And guys, if you're not experiencing this life, there's nothing... More simple than to just go to God and say, God, I've, I've, I've kind of fallen in that trap again. I've lost my first love. I'm like the Ephesian church. He said, just go back. Do the things you did at the start. And just simply just take a walk with him. I started with my own sons. I said, sons, I don't want you to read the Bible for your own because dad's telling you to. I want you to because simply you love God and it flows out. I don't, want, I don't even want you to go to church. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm telling my own kids, I don't even want you to go to church. Unless it comes from a heart that loves God first. Why? Because I don't want him to fall in this trap. I'm like, just five minutes, guys. Can you, can you get to the end of the day and just say, God, I spent five minutes just pursuing you in the Word. And then just spend five minutes, just starting somewhere, right? Just five minutes reading it, and five minutes just responding to it in prayer to God. Just do that. Can you do that? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, great. We're on to something. I'm not like, read your Bible. Go back in your room and read your Bible. Because I'm supposed to look good and look like a pastor. He's got his family in order. And if you don't, especially when people come over for dinner, don't kick each other under the table. I love my boys. I totally want them to live in this way and not trapped like people in the Clawson Church, like people in Calvary Slow, like people you get, you know, that can be very much good at what they do and how they look and that kind of thing. It's not about that. I don't want my kids to be like that. I want them to love God because they love God. And then the rest flows. Last thing, number four, and then we're almost done here. What happens at conversion? Well, it's all possible because he forgives us all of our sins, and he blotted them out with his own blood on the cross. Verse 13 says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. If you can, highlight those scriptures. If you want to, highlight all. If you want to, highlight made alive. All those things. Just highlight it. Just let it get in your heart. and change you. And just say, Lord, thank you. What can I say but thank you for giving me for my sins by dying on the cross? In light of all this, Paul, in essence, is asking those returning their old traditions and practices in order to be truly accepted before the Father. Next slide. Out of all that, is that all there is to religion? Let's just read this one more time. Verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ, I'm asking you guys, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, that don't eat, don't touch, that kind of stuff, right? That it's all external. If you, if you died from all that, 
Why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Such as don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. Which all concern things which perish, which die, that aren't eternal. That have no lasting value in and of themselves. You can do things, right? In obedience to God. You could say no to things in obedience to God. And praise God, he does that. He calls us with different desires and different motives. And we say yes and we say no to things. But it isn't defining how God views you, whether you obey that or not 100%, right? That's the beauty of it. So if he calls you to do something or not do something, praise God. It's awesome. Just do it for his glory and for the right reasons, right? If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Let's get our minds there. Set your mind on things above, not things on the earth. For you died. Get it? You what? You died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So you're no longer yourselves, right? When Christ, who is our life, here's the big bonus at the end of this whole thing. When Christ, who is our life, appears, for already in him, and he's appearing, guess what? Then you'll also appear with him in glory. In the glory of his presence is what we say. Ah, oh, that's where you're going. You're going to be with him, and he's glorious. And if you're with him, and he's glorious, guess what? You're going to be with him in his glory. Not your own, his. Because you're going to say, God, you had me die so I could live. And I really, really thank you for that. Because if it would have been all about what I did and what I didn't do, and it was all externalism, for externalism's sake, then I would have hated my life. And you would have hated yours, yeah? Because it has no meaning. It has no destination. So, externalism is all, is all this that there is to religion. Answer is no. Praise God. No. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship. Let's do it for the right reasons. Worship team can come up. If you'd like to, I would encourage you, if you're a believer, to have communion today. It's not depositing a wafer in your account so that God can x-ray you later, spiritually speaking. Jesus said, I want to give this to you and I want you to do it so that you can remember me. You can remember that it's only possible for you to die and be risen again because I did that for you. And he wanted us to go to the elements, the bread and the cup, to remind us of what it took for us to have all these things be true and for him to show us. Guys, I don't mean to give an impression here. I think I should say this too, is that the Old Testament is not for nothing. It's there to point us to the substance, right? It's it's there to point us to the place where we come despairingly saying, I have blown it according to your righteous judgments and standards. There's a purpose for the law that's really good. It's just doing what the law says for doing's sake is where you miss the boat. Okay? With me? So I want to make sure that's clear. But the beauty is when you do have new vision and you have new eyes and you have communion for the right reasons, then, then it becomes, man, Lord, what can I do? What do you want to keep away from me? Where, if I'm going to stumble, let me be far away from those things so that I can love you. Sound good? So have communion. If you're not a believer yet, simple thing, just pray to him right now where you're at and just simply say, God, I want to pass from death to life. I want to be dead so I can be made alive, so I can be with you and have my relationship with you and where it should be. And uh, that's just a simple prayer before you and God. There's going to be people over here to pray with you if you'd like to get some prayer. Anyone can. If you have burdens, you want lifted, if you just want to have God just use somebody to encourage you in prayer, that's there for you as well. So let's pray. 
God, we just, we just fall literally on our knees, God, just before you. We lift our hands to you. We sing with our full hearts to you because you've made it all right and it makes sense because we know there's something better than just doing for the sake of doing. So Lord, have our hearts today. Allow us to leave here with the right motivation to be able to tell others about a freedom that it's because of freedom that we've been made free and and we want to live in that way where life is now a joy because of the things that we've had set straight in our heart. So let it be true today, God. Praise your name, Jesus. Praise God. It's not about what we do. It's about who we are in you. So we love you, Lord. We worship you now. We thank you for all your blessings in Christ's name.